Hi, I'm Daniel Budai, and this is the Ecom Show, a podcast where you can learn more about the world of high-performing e-commerce players and marketers. The show is brought to you by the team of Budai Media. Let's grow your e-commerce business together. Hello, everyone. Today, I'm talking with Fraser Bryan, and he's been working with the Dimnico agency since uh, the middle of 2020. And their primary focus is Facebook ads and scaling e-commerce businesses to seven and even eight-figure levels. And basically, we want to touch uh, three topics today. And uh, the first one will be how to scale from scratch to eight figure in European markets, because what we can see is that many e-commerce guys in Europe, they have some limited beliefs about this. And uh, also how to manage the operations, the, the backend side of things, how to translate into many different languages. Also, we want to touch the topic of the recent Facebook ads changes, the new iOS update, and these kind of things. And uh, finally, we want to just discuss about the differences between the North American and European market and how things how, how things um, are different and similar. So if you are interested, stay tuned. And uh, the episode is coming with Fraser. Yeah, I'm uh, pretty happy to have uh, here today uh, Fraser Bryan uh, from Scotland, Edinburgh, if I remember well. Yeah. And uh, he's he's a Facebook ad expert and he works with uh, the Dimnico agency. Also, he has a lot of experience with uh, e-commerce brands and how to scale uh, on different markets. And um, yeah, today we will talk about a lot of things, but probably, you know, um, I think the best if you would just tell us more about your past experience and your story. Um, I always say that probably most marketers, they, they, you know, they don't get a marketing uh, degree and they want to become uh, eight figure marketers from the age of 10. So if that's the case, then please tell us more what happened with you and yeah, how you became a marketer. Uh, yeah, so well, I I don't have a marketing degree, so um, I would like to be earning eight figures though. Uh, so uh, yeah, it's, I've been doing this for uh, almost three years now. Um, I started off in like a, a an agency. Uh, it was very small. It was Facebook exclusive. It was mostly it was in fact entirely startups. Uh, so our, our our specialty was kind of getting startups off the ground. That was the uh, that was the like starting point for us the people who founded that agency were also founding like other brands and um, one of those brands took off uh, they were using money from that brand to fund like venture capital uh, things as well so i was doing a man of many hats in a way so i was i was running ads i was running accounts i was doing market research i was creating business plans um and then eventually uh, some of the projects grew so big that we had to uh, put a lot of the kind of extra things aside so i ended up being in-house uh, for a fashion brand that was uh, the fastest growing, uh, I think it's the fastest growing startup of all time in the UK. Um, mm. And now it's, it's, it's massive. Uh, it's a fully established, uh, it's, legit, it's not a startup anymore, it's a big company. Um, so that was really cool to kind of see it, like the the, the difference between when I, when I came on and when I left in the company is so huge between 
how much money they have, what the team is like, how many channels they're using to now, and the connections they have, and how established the company is, and what the targets are. It's, it is uh, it's such a difference. So that's like a, an accelerated learning curve um, to go to to kind of see a company and be part of the, a very small marketing department that brought the company up to, to that level. Um, yeah. So after that, I began working freelance uh, with some people like connections I had made uh, when I was doing other things. Uh, again, that my specialty, I would probably say, is is startups, so earlier stage for companies and getting that kind of initial growth to get you to like a good level of turnover and revenue so that you can begin to like make more investments elsewhere in your marketing. Um, and yeah, I've been working with uh, Dim Nico. I met Dim. Uh, well, I didn't I haven't met him in person yet, but uh, I met him online uh, six months ago or so. Uh, so yeah, I've been uh, running those accounts ever since. Nice. I met him in Bangkok in 2019, I remember. But uh, yeah, in a bar <laughs> uh, yes. after a conference, I remember. Um, that's great. And, uh, you know, for those who, who never had this experience with such a... Um, fast-growing startup so probably if you could tell us a few numbers uh, when you started working with the company and when you left left it how much time passed and how, what was the size of the staff and the revenue the ad spend so you know these kind of things um, I think that would be very interesting to hear yeah so uh I because the 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 kind of the I've been doing various jobs for the same people. So the people running this company were running the agency and the other ad accounts I was I was managing, and the other projects I was managing. So I had begun doing like small jobs for it, and then it became a full time position for me as like a marketing executive. So when I, I I'll take it from the kind of six months period when I was just straight marketing executive for this company. So we we start off with um. We started off with targets like our essentially the, the first year revenue I think was around two million. Uh, second year revenue was um, I'm not sure, but it, it it was like ten times that. So it's it's a, it's exponential growth, and it's the same with that spend. So ad spend we went from uh, like several hundred per day to uh, like five thousand per day to more than that. So I think by the end, by the time I left, we were managing like. Three to four hundred k per month, uh, at least. Um, mm. well, but that's across like all channels. So I think that that includes Germany, that includes uh, Euro Store, Australia, UK, USA, and so on. Um, so yeah, we I was there when we took the brand like international. So initially it was only UK, and then it went international as well. So um, yeah, it was a huge level of growth um, and pushing very very hard there were a lot of like very long days uh, as i'm sure like anyone who's done this will will know there are some days where it just it feels like it doesn't end uh so mm. yeah i guess that was and, it, and it's it's kind of difficult um i think that you're at an advantage we're at an advantage because fundamentally the core concept of the brand was, was solid and the product was solid and mm. that your job a lot easier and it makes scaling a lot easier when those things happen and you just have to manage the technical aspects of the ads and everything else to make sure that you minimize how much money you waste uh when when what when your branding um and your and your product are, are on point you have a lot less to worry about but if you're plagued with like quality issues and and all of the other things that like that you have to do in your business 
if they're causing you problems, it will affect your marketing. That's one thing that I learned. It's like those things, as much as your marketing can be awesome and you can get the returns that, that you need or exceed those targets, if other parts of your business are not up to scratch, if you don't follow up with emails or your the other aspect, other channels aren't working or your customer service is non-existent or your product has quality issues, then your marketing will, it will affect your marketing, even the prospecting for, for new customers. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Let me ask you one of my favorite questions. So how do you know that your product is amazing and and you don't have to, I mean, of course you have to take care of that, but you don't have to need, you don't have to worry too much about it. Uh, and you can focus on growth and, and all of that. So you mean, how, at what point do you know? When do you yeah, know product is I solid? Think you, I think you mentioned product and what was the other thing? If these two things were really in branding, place. Branding and product. So yeah, really so how, how do you know that your branding is amazing and your product is amazing? I guess reviews and feedback from customers, but what else? It de- well, it depends on what the product is, I guess, in your buying cycle. But one thing, one indicator is re- repeat customers um, and how reliable and what's like lifetime value. So le- lots of people can be convinced by one ad and buy one product and have a bad experience and they, ne- they yeah. never come back and you will run out of those people eventually. So that's how you don't grow. If you want to grow, you need lifetime value and you need people to come back. And that you do that by two things. They have a good experience with the product and mm-hmm. have a good experience with you as a brand. Yeah. So yeah. building a community around you as a provider of this for them and celebrating your customers, they will come back. If your product is on point, they will come back. If you have both of these things, then you're able to generate essentially all of your all of your prospecting is to generate extra sales on top of the people who are already coming back. And that's how you grow so quickly. So taking care of existing customers was a huge aspect of that growth. Yeah. I just uh before this uh recording i i had a call with sms bump and i uh it's a software company so not e-commerce but same things apply there and i asked them uh who is the sales- salesperson now they have 40 employees and then uh the girl told me that they don't have a salesperson because the product just sells itself and it it grew organically and they got acquired by yotpo which is a four or five hundred uh people company they they just got uh, boats up by i think one year ago um it was one year ago so they don't they don't need a salesperson you know it's just a good product <laughs> um marketing is important but uh, and sales for sure but if you have a great product it just grows organically like crazy uh, i can see it a lot um yeah pretty interesting and uh Please tell us more about the difficulties and not just about not not just regarding marketing but regarding uh, fulfillment or or just or how you can organize things if you grow so fast especially if you go international and you are in multiple countries and you try to scale in many different languages um what are the biggest challenges what a business owner should be prepared for So I think if you're planning on making any expansion anywhere uh, into into a new a new market a new country, uh, you have to make sure the first thing you have to set up are all of the like, you would call it like the under the road infrastructure. So 
uh, your fulfillment. You have to be you have to be aware of other customs charges, other taxes, and so on. I know a lot of people have issues shipping things to Canada, and I always have for several brands I've worked for because it's a customs charge, and people don't like getting a notification from the customs department saying you have to pay forty five dollars to get this part package you've already paid for, uh, and that like. Yeah, that doesn't help your Trustpilot score. So, uh, yeah, you have to be aware of all of those kind of things. So that's like your basic admin. Once you have that down, then it's all about how you reach this new audience. So you have to be aware of the language. You have to be aware of, yep. uh, for example, it does make a difference. Like you could, if if you had a company and you were selling in in uh, in the UK, and you wanted to expand into like Denmark or uh, the Netherlands, you could start running ads in English there. And you probably have some conversions and you might be able to get some good KPIs simply because these countries generally have pretty good English proficiency, especially among yeah. young people. Uh, but if you want to sell in France, you need a French website and you need French copy. Absolutely. Yeah. Uh, in Germany, I know we had success for the big brand I worked for, or the now big, we had success in Germany initially with just English ads. As soon oh, really? as we- Sorry. Yeah. Yeah. That's interesting. I, but carry on, carry on. So as, as soon as we changed to German and launched a German a, a specific German website with German ads, uh, the difference was was huge. So you might be able to write, for example, scaling spend from like we were spending maybe two hundred uh, pounds per day in Germany in running ads in English, and we had okay KPIs, but it wasn't really scalable. Uh, and then we went we like ten times that in a few days when we were running ads in German, it just works better. So it's different for each country. So you have to be aware of like how receptive they are to whatever language you might start with. Like if you, if you want to save some time and just feel like the market, you could try in English. Uh, but some countries are just more receptive than others. Germany's better. Spain, you would probably have to do it in Spanish also. So yeah. that's another process that you have to go through is making sure that you have um, a website ads uh, and also, you have to conform to various legal things as well. So I know that for Germany, at least, there are certain things you have to put in, like your terms and conditions on the website that are different. So, but that's all kind of basic admin. That's I mean, you should have you. It's easy enough to find those things out and do it. Yeah, yeah. yeah. I just had a conversation with a Swedish uh, store owner. He has a fashion brand in Sweden, but uh, they've been expanding in Germany, Finland, Norway, Netherlands probably France as well, UK. And we talked about these languages and um, their emails are in English, even in Germany, and they don't really convert well. And I just told him the same, that uh, Germans prefer speaking in German. Uh, I think Dutch, they are fine with English, the Swedish as well, maybe the Danish people as well. But um, yeah, I think for Germans, in Germany, German is, is just a better uh, shot, yeah. Um, so the audience asked me uh, a few uh, more specific questions, so I will just ask them from you. So what's your experience with uh, Germany? And uh, beside PayPal, how much do you know about what people use to, to pay for the products? What do they prefer there? Do you have experience with this? Yeah, no, I remember we we did. Uh, I remember doing research into this, um, and it was PayPal was standard. All the Germans I spoke to uh, just using regular card payments. Uh, Klarna, I think, was quite popular in Germany as well. Um, 
can't remember. I'm sure we found to support because we didn't like PayPal and no one likes really working with PayPal to be honest. But yeah, we found that PayPal was still the most popular one. Uh, it's, okay. it's kind of an industry standard and it is trusted by consumers as much as it is a pain to work with if you're a, if you're a seller. Mm-hmm. Uh, so those were the best ones. I think there are maybe one or two more options, but those were the, the standard ones. Don't they use credit card? Not too much. Americans use it more and the English people. Uh, I think it's more a debit card in the UK, but yeah, I mean, that, that's always an option. So we would never not use that as, as an option for payment. Mm-hmm. Okay. What can you see as the biggest uh, challenge regarding horizontal scaling? You already mentioned a few, but maybe what's the biggest one? Uh, well, if we're talking just from a marketing perspective, I think it's uh, yeah. I think probably knowing the audience. Because when you set up a, a brand in a country, for example, take the UK as an example, you know there's yeah. a certain way that you can speak to people. And if you're like me and you live here and you grew up here, then you know what appeals to people more and what about your product is likely to appeal to people. And you've done your tests and you've run your campaigns and you know what, what works. When you're going into a new area with a new language, new culture, everything's different, you have to relearn those things. So that's the biggest strategy. I guess that in some cases, like depending on the product, the base offer is the same, but you have to present it in different ways. And some yeah. you know, different countries have different attitudes to what it is that you're selling. So you do have to relearn. It's not just like we need to find new audiences. It's like we, you need to relearn exactly how you phrase the ads, which is one of the important things about translation. It's the same with the website. So you have to know... Some things might read super well in English, but they come off really tacky or, or it doesn't make sense or it sounds too formal in another language. So you have to yeah. be careful about how you present it as well. Uh, it's the same with uh, even even the way that you set a website up, even having, uh, for example, you might have like a, a little pop-up that comes up after 15 seconds that says sign up to the email list. This is more or less popular in other countries. So it's also something you have to be aware of. So there's, there's a lot of research for optimizing, setting up new website, new ad campaigns for these countries. Obviously, you're always learning in any country, but that I would say is probably the biggest challenge from a marketing perspective is you, you're, you're, re, you're kind of going back to basics and you're relearning a lot of things. Yeah, and you work with people and people are different in different countries, so you have to take care of that. Um, also, in our team, we, we can manage six languages and at the very beginning, we translated the sales copy from English to French to German and all of that. But we very early, we realized it, it's just not good because it's just better to have separate sales copywriters for each languages because each language has its own phrases and what sounds good in English, it doesn't sound good in German and so on. So exactly. I'm not a big fan of pure translations from word to word. It doesn't make too much sense. Um, and, uh, yeah, have you, have you worked with clients in the, in the U S North American market and what differences can you see between the, between Europe and North America? Uh, so I think, uh, I mean, I don't want to say something that might, people might take the wrong way. I think European markets can be uh, a little bit more discerning, uh, than American markets. So you might have to make, you might have to be a little less broad. Uh, you might have to be a little more careful about things that you say. Um, yeah. Yeah, a U.S. market is more diverse. Mm-hmm. Uh, so if you're if you're if you have models, you have to make sure that there's a diversity of models. Uh, whereas if you're opening a site in Russia, it doesn't matter; they can all be white. Uh, 
Um, but if you're in America, then you do have to pay attention to those. So there, again, that's it's another cultural difference. And even though the language is the same, and we know how to, we know American terms of phrase that we can use, uh, there are also other cultural things that we might not think of, but that actually matches a lot to to America. Yeah. So uh, that's that's another thing as well. Interesting. Um, and I, you know, I talk with many Europeans, and they are always many of them. They are just afraid that it's a too small market here in Europe with a five hundred million inhabitants. <laughs> uh, so there are quite many people actually in Europe to sell to. Uh, but what what do you think? Um, is there a li- limitation because because there are many countries and it's harder to scale than in the US, or it takes more time, or what can you see? I can certainly see why it would take more time because you're having to create n- numerous websites with different copy. USA, yeah. you can fire it out in English, maybe Spanish, um, mm. and CPMs are relatively consistent. Uh, but you know, CPMs in, in the UK are going to be higher than they are in Slovakia. Uh, but yeah. there are people who use Facebook all over Europe. There's a population of 500 million. It's a wealthy continent compared to, uh, to virtually any other continent. I don't think yeah. there's any reason why we should not be looking to tap those markets. You just have to be economical. And if you if you have a, an efficient system for breaking into these new markets, like scaling horizontally, then it it gets easier and easier each time you do it. Uh, I think there's, obviously, as your company grows, you're able to, to invest more in that. I understand why America seems to be easier um, because you don't have to make as many changes. So you can have set up, you set up one website, you have like one ad account for the US or yeah. and you, and that's it and you you spend a lot more but that's it it all goes to the US and you have that market of 320 330 million yeah. people super yeah. useful never ignore the US market it's always going to be a big one um yeah. but i think that uh europe still has more people there's plenty of money in europe um comparatively speaking germany even germany alone is massive 80 million people or 85 million people in Germany. Yeah. It's more than the UK, it's more than France, much more than Spain. So, you know, you, it's it's uh, it's more difficult. I think there are more like speed bumps and, and roadblocks that you have, but it's certainly not possible. Yeah. And uh, I still think that the US market is probably the most competitive. And... Uh, let's say Germany or UK is one step behind it, one little step, mm-hmm. just a little step, I would say, but uh, still you can find ideas in the US and take those into Germany, let's say, or or Sweden or these countries and uh, or, or fr- the French market. And, uh, you know, it works quite well. Um, this is what I can see a lot. Um, yeah, so um, you are an expert in Facebook ads, and uh, I can see these topics or topic everywhere, the iOS changes and the recent changes. So let's talk about those a bit. So what do you think um, about these changes? What can we expect? Uh, well, I mean, we're, we're seeing the results already in delayed attribution, uh, what seems to be like frustratingly inaccurate attribution from Facebook. Uh, I'm not mm-hmm. seeing now on accounts are running um i still think it's too early to tell uh, i don't think this will be like a, a platform crippling move i think that we will be able to adapt to it 
like as marketers, that's what we do. We have to be able to adapt to these things. I don't think it's something that's gonna that's gonna finish us. I think what we will have to do is make a lot more adaptations with other reporting platforms. So I think Google Analytics, if you don't know how to use it, then mm-hmm. go take the like free courses on the website. That's my advice to anyone listening. Is it, Google Analytics is your best friend at the moment. You can attach UTM parameters yeah. to ads. You can track things pretty accurately with it. And there's a lot of stuff you can do with segmenting data and yeah. uh, really picking it apart to look at where the weak points are, both in your marketing and in your website. So Google Analytics, I I, I love it. I think it's great. It, it might take a little bit of getting used to, but that's good. Uh, Google Data Studio is another thing that I would recommend. Uh, yeah. I and you get someone who knows what they're doing to set it up because I have set it up before and it took me a very long time because it's very, very difficult, very fiddly, uh, but it's also excellent. So the, we are going to have to be uh, relying less on Facebook's reporting and making a lot more decisions based on other reporting platforms, I think is the first, first adaptation we're going to have to make to this. I think Facebook will eventually begin to become more reliable. Uh, you know, anyone who's worked with Facebook ads knows when they have an algorithm change or when there are a lot, like, for example, the beginning of coronavirus, the number of people advertising on Facebook went down and the number of users went sky high. So CPMs were ultra low. And then when, uh, you know, at least in the UK, when lockdown began to ease off and people began to come back onto the platform and there were fewer users, the CPMs were up and down and up and down and up and down. So Facebook does always take a little bit of time to adjust to these things. I think at the moment we're seeing a period of volatility with Facebook. I think it will improve fairly quickly, but I think the best thing we can do at the moment is to uh, look elsewhere for our data uh, if we want to have reliable tracking on the ads in the meantime. Yeah. Um, probably many people won't like me, but I'm I'm happy for that because I can see that uh, many marketers, they really depend on Facebook, you know, everything is about Facebook ads, but uh, yeah, and, and Google Analytics is just underrated. We started doing CRO with our clients a few months ago. And uh, what we can see is that really like everyone, re- they really focus on Facebook and front-end traffic and they don't know analytics. They don't even know how to set it up or how to use it. Um, they checked Shopify numbers, which is better than nothing, but still like Google Analytics is just, you know, it's free and there are so many options how to use it. Um, have you tried uh, other analytical tools? I know Hyros and there is another one. Mm, I don't remember the name, uh, but I, I know Hyros is, is a good one. Uh, I talk with another agency, they they use it. Anything else you can name? For me, it's only ever been uh, Google Analytics, to be completely honest with you. I know I, I can integrate everything that I need to with it. Um, yeah. So I've, I my, I say my specialization would be Facebook in terms of like an actual store platform would be Shopify. Mm-hmm. I've worked with other ones. But um, Google Analytics, I think, has absolutely everything you need uh, and is free. Another thing I would recommend as well uh, less so because of iOS 14, but just as a platform that you can use that is free is Hotjar. So it's not really data, but it's also super useful if you want to take a look at your website and see spot weaknesses and strengths. So I think, again, at the moment, it's also useful uh, with the iOS 14 rollout because we can see user behavior on the website and we can see measure differences over time and how people are interacting with the website. And you can get an idea of audience quality from that too. So... All of the, the ways for us to see data, 
that don't cost anything. I mean, you're limited with uh, Hotjar to a small number of interactions if you get the free version. But Google Analytics totally free. There are courses on it, totally free, and you can you can really do deep dives into your data with that. So, uh, yeah, that's I think that's that's the best thing. This is the marketer's secret weapon. I think you really need to know it. Yeah, exactly. Like everyone should, you know, just at least spend one day with Google Analytics, how to use it, because it's good for everything, like retention marketing, front-end traffic generation, CRO, like everything. And we also use Hotjar, heat mapping and, and website service. There are many things you can play with. As you said, I think there is even a free version. Mm -hmm. So yeah, it's super useful. Um, yeah. Yeah, yeah. And then if you have a bigger company, you can try usertesting.com. Uh, I think you need to invest at least 500 bucks, something like that. And you can uh, ask your target audience to shoot videos and uh, tell you about their experience. And you can give them tasks and they, they usually spend 10, 20 minutes on your website and they follow your instructions, what to do, and they tell you what they think what they can see, you can see uh, what they are doing. So there are all of these useful uh, things. Um, yeah. Um, and maybe as a last question, so what trends uh, can you see recently? Um, have you tried any other advertising platforms besides Facebook? Um, maybe TikTok or Snapchat or I don't know, something else. And uh, do you think these other platforms, they will become bigger and stronger compared to Facebook or what can, what can you see and what can we expect in the next months and years? Uh, well, that's an excellent question. I, I wanted to talk about this actually, because I think that uh, there's, a, there's, a, there's an issue with some people who are maybe uninitiated and they, don't, they are not too experienced uh, and especially if you say you own an e-com store and you open up a, an advertising account on Facebook, the returns could be quite fast. So you can begin to generate sales fairly quickly and you can yep. feel like you have a good handle on it. The issue comes yep. when you try to scale that and uh, and you realize that just spending more money is not, is, is not going to work for you and you have to have real strategy to it. The thing about, because I know I've worked with Pinterest, I've worked with YouTube, I've worked... Uh, uh, tried to work with Twitter, but it's a nightmare. Uh, and I've worked with like TikTok as well. I think these other platforms absolutely have a place. And I think that if you're running an e-com business, you have to take uh, take stock of where your customers like to spend their time on social media. Facebook has an advantage because it's both Facebook and Instagram. So it yeah. is massive and it's still the big one. And it can still drive amazing returns for you. So I think... There's no reason to think that you should be jumping off of that, abandoning that ship. Uh, but I think that it's definitely worth knowing about these other platforms. The thing about like Pinterest, for example, which can, if you're lucky, give you very, very good returns, uh, it does take a while for Pinterest to start working for you. So it takes a lot longer for you to begin to really break even and turn a good profit with Pinterest than it does for Facebook. It doesn't mean it's a bad platform. It just means that it might be one that you start later on in your journey when you have more like disposable cash. So... Facebook has its advantages in that you can you can have a good early start and it's a kind of a good introductory platform to like digital marketing if it's something yeah. you have before. But it's also something that 
it does require some mastery to really make the account sing and to get good results rather than just some results. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Why is that, by the way, regarding Pinterest, that it takes more time to figure it out? I'm not sure. I've had several calls with them about this because I know uh, it's possible that their AI is just not as quick. The way that people mm -hmm. interact with Pinterest is different from the way that they interact with Facebook uh, because people will spend a lot more time on Facebook than Pinterest during the day. Um, but generally speaking, the audience quality on Pinterest is better because on Facebook you find a lot of like idle scrollers and impressions are less meaningful, whereas on Pinterest yeah. you find people who are looking for something. And yeah. if, you, if you're showing them something relevant to their interests and their desires at that moment, then you're more likely to do well. Mm. Um, so it could be down to things like AI. Facebook's AI has been developed for a very long time and it is actually yeah. very good. Um, so that's, I think that's that a lot is, of data as well in general. Yeah. Probably yeah. The most, maybe Google can compete with it. Yeah. Yeah. So it's probably, in fact, that's, that's almost exactly what it is. That might, I, I think you're absolutely right. I think it's I think it's da Facebook's data retention, which obviously Apple's trying to limit. But I think that has it confers a huge advantage. Yeah, amazing. Um, is there anything you want to add, and or any advice for this year? What you can see and it would help e-commerce marketers in general. Uh, my only advice is uh, start doing your free courses for Google Analytics because I can guarantee you you're going to need it. And if you even if you're if you're not actually running ads on any new platforms, it always helps to just have a read and see how these platforms function. Uh, it can be uh, like if you if you're used to running ads on Facebook and you think that you've mastered it, and then you go over to Pinterest, it is still a different ballgame. Uh, you still have to kind of relearn the platform in a way. So uh, I think that's something that you should just always be aware of, even if you're not running ads on the platform at that particular time. Be aware of trends. Be aware of what's happening and and yeah. how. It's yeah. That's a solid piece of advice. Um, yeah, thank you. So uh, yeah, that was our episode for today. And uh, thanks for sharing all of these, uh, you know, very valuable information. And uh, stay tuned every Thursday. We are coming out with a new episode and we have regular live streams every Monday. And um, yeah, uh, thanks again for joining us today. And thanks for uh, everyone who listened to us today. Thank you very much for having me. Hope you enjoyed this episode of the Ecom Show podcast. If you want to learn more about e-commerce, retention marketing, check out our Facebook group called Top 3% E-commerce Email Marketing or check out our website, thebudaimedia.com. The show is brought to you by the team of Budai Media. See you in our next episode and don't forget our goal. Grow your e-commerce business together.